Our reading this evening is from Philippians, chapter 2, beginning at the 12th verse. St. Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad. And rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Paul describes ours as a crooked and twisted generation. He described his generation as what is true of also ours, twisted and crooked, among whom Christians are to shine as lights. The world is a top spinning in a wobbly way, waiting to spin out, waiting to be destroyed. And yet there is hope in this world. There is light in this darkness. That light comes from Christ and it shines through you through Christians, just as it shined through Paul. You're going to get tired of hearing me say this, but St. Paul's letter to the Philippians is his letter of joy. There's not a week that goes by that we don't hear about Paul's joy. And it is his joy and the basis for that joy, which he preaches to the Philippians, it's what drives them also to shine as lights in this world, in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation. He instructs them as they think about their life as Christians in this world, as lights in this world. He instructs them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. To illustrate that, I want you to think about a parable that is so helpful, a parable that Jesus tells to those who thought highly of themselves, who thought that they were righteous by their deeds, and who then looked down on others. He told them a parable about two fellows coming to the temple. I talk about this parable often. It's such a helpful reference point for us. But as you listen to this parable, think about this question. Which of these fellows is working out his salvation with fear and trembling? So there is, on the one hand, the Pharisee who comes into the temple proud of himself. Now, the thing about Pharisees is that they would not have looked proud. At least he would not have looked as proud as the tax collector. The tax collector who also shows up in the temple in this parable, he would have looked like a proud man. He's the kind of fellow who would have driven up driving a Bentley with jewels all over him in a nice jacket. He was the kind of guy who would have looked proud. The Pharisee looked humble. But there the Pharisee is, standing in the temple, and as Jesus tells the parable, he says the Pharisee is praying to God. He's thanking God that he has made him different from other men. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men, like extortioners, like adulterers, and most of all, not like that poor tax collector over there, that sinner. That miserable fellow, I thank you for making me better, for making me better than him. 
The tax collector, meanwhile, stood afar off in the corner and he prayed to God with his head bowed as he beat his breast and said, simply, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Which of those men was working out his salvation with fear and trembling? It's obvious, and it's the same answer that we get to the question Jesus asked, which is, which one went home justified? Is it the one who thought highly of himself? Is it the one who stood before God in pride? Or is it the one who was humble, who thought nothing of himself? Which is it? Is it the one who had nothing to be afraid of because he thought he was righteous and holy? Or is it the one who cowered, who trembled in the presence of God because he knew he deserved nothing but wrath and punishment? Now, we all know the answers to these questions. We know that humility is what God seeks. It's what he desires from us. A broken and a contrite spirit, that's what God desires in terms of sacrifice. He doesn't want sacrifices of oxen and bulls and goats. He wants a heart that stands humbly before him. But one of the reasons why God wants a humble heart before him is not just so that we worship him truly, so that we fear, love, and trust in him above all things, but also so that we love our neighbors. Humility before God produces humility before one another. Which of those fellows standing in the temple do you think was humble towards his neighbors? How could that tax collector, after beating his breast and pleading with God for mercy, how could he raise himself, exalt himself above anyone else in his life? He couldn't do it because he had been humbled before the Lord his God. Humility towards God is what produces humility towards one another. And Paul drives this point home when he says, look, whatever good works that you do, whatever righteous deeds you accomplish, whatever it is that you will, according to God's will, it comes from God. So give glory to God. When you desire to do what is good, it is God who is at work in you. And that is why Paul gives this next admonition. Do not grumble. Do not grumble or dispute. Everything you do, do it without grumbling or disputing so that you may be blameless and innocent. Humility before God is what produces humility towards one another. Humility before God and understanding of how we stand before God is what keeps us from being contentious, what keeps us from moaning and complaining about our situation, what keeps us from being disappointed in the way things go, what keeps us from worry and anxiety and disputation. Those are the things that belong to a crooked and twisted generation. So take the picture in this way. When the world is that top spinning off kilter, about to fall over, it's full of crookedness and twistedness. It's full of grumbling and disputation. But the church, God's people, a light in the world, living aright on a straight and narrow path, they are free from the need to grumble about anything. They're free from the need to dispute about anything because their salvation is bound up in God. Their righteousness, their blamelessness and innocence is bound up in God. And that is what makes us not only live in love toward one another, but it is also what makes us lights in the world. So in a crooked and twisted world, everybody expects it's normal to grumble and be contentious. That's the normal way of living. So when you as Christians live differently because your lives are bound up in Christ, you become lights for the world. The world looks at you and says, why aren't you more upset about all of the things that we're upset about? Why aren't you grumbling with us about all of the things that are going wrong? Why aren't you contending with us against one another? Why aren't you picking a side? When you don't do that, 
When instead you live in humility towards God and towards one another, you are lights in the world. And it's a precious thing in the sight of God. Just as Paul was a light to his fellow prisoners and to all the Christians throughout the diaspora, Christians who saw him in prison rejoicing and singing hymns and said, this is something special, this is something different. This is the way we want to be. Paul's life was a light reflecting the light of Christ, who on the cross, who even on the cross, was joyous because of what he was accomplishing for your sake. Not grumbling, not contending, not defending himself, not standing up for what was right, but instead suffering all things for your sake. He was a light in the world, a light that shined through Paul, and a light that now shines in each and every one of you, just as it shined through the Philippians. It all begins with coming before God in humility, in fear and trembling, bowing down before him, pleading for his mercy. It's a precious gift that we have. We wouldn't do it on our own, but God has worked that in us. Thank him, thank God, that he has brought you so low, that he has humbled you under his mighty hand so that he can be the one who exalts you. Now there's an image that Paul uses here, just to wrap things up. There's an image that he uses which describes his joy, and I want you to just take this image home with you. He says, I'm going to rejoice when I find out that I have not run in vain or labored in vain, when I see the good works that you do, when I see the light that you shine into the world, he's going to know that he has not worked in vain preaching the gospel to the Philippians. And he says in verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. The only way that Paul could imagine that he had worked in vain is if he thought that he was doing it for himself. If he thought that he was preaching the gospel for his own sake. Then, of course, languishing in prison, yeah, you ruined your life, man. You lost everything. What was it worth? But it was never for his own sake. The gospel was never for his own sake. It was for the sake of those around him, for the Philippians. And so he can look at his life and he can say, I am sure that I have not run in vain because you believe and my life is poured out as a drink offering. Drink offerings were offerings that accompanied other sacrifices in the Old Testament. And they were offerings of wine. Wine whose purpose, as the Bible tells us from beginning to end, whose purpose is to make glad the hearts of men. And, in the case of offerings, to make glad the heart of God. Those drink offerings, that wine poured out on the altar or next to the altar, along with the sacrifices, was meant to make God's heart glad. Not that he drank it and it made him glad, but it was poured out symbolically for him, just as it makes our hearts glad. Paul looks at his own life in that way. Pour it out, he says. Let that uh, jug of wine be emptied as a drink offering. Because when God glories in the sacrifice that Paul makes, in his joy, in the life of the Philippians, when God glories in all of that, when God glories in his light shining through the world, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, when God glories in all of that, it is our glory as well. So Paul says, let me be poured out and I will rejoice. Let my life be over and I will rejoice because it has not been in vain. He can rejoice because he knows that all good things are brought to him from God and that God will complete, will complete everything that he has promised. Put your trust in him. Have the mind of Christ, which Paul is preaching to you, which you have through baptism, which you have through the word that you have received. Cling to that, for that is your hope and your joy.
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.